Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. I certainly hope so, at least. That's, that's my goal. I think we will. Pretty sure we will. By the way, they were making that Frito pie chili at uh, Alexander and Jason and Jason's. And I'm just going to tell you right now, this stage still smells like chili. Am I right or am I right? The whole church, man, it's like they, the chili got all over them. Uh, it got in their clothes, man. They smell like chili. I smell chili now. It's making me hungry. But Frito pie. So uh, we're going to do big little books tonight. This is, I believe, part eight, chapter three, part two. And so let me say a prayer and we'll jump right into it. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your word. Pray that you speak to our hearts tonight. We'll give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 Uh, by the way, the Jewish Bible has Joel with four chapters. The Jewish, the Tanakh, the, the Jewish Bible has Joel with, with four chapters. But English versions, the 1611 King James and, and many others have the book of Joel, the Christian Bible, in three uh, chapters, three chapters. Same verses, just divided differently, divided into three chapters instead of four. Why is that? Uh, some historians, some scholars could probably tell you, but I can't. But uh, it is an interesting note. There's four in the Hebrew and there's three in the Christian. Same verses. And you know, all of that was not inspired as far as the division of the chapters and verses. But it is uh, something that was added later so we could uh, go through it a little easier. Now, it's been two weeks. Uh, I was out of town last week, so I want to do some review, and I'll cover some, some details, clear a few things up. We're trying to wrap this up. So we're in chapter 3, and uh, I'll just skip reading verses 1 through 3, but I, I do want to make some comments on this. In those days and at that time, Joel's prophecy is uh, centered around, connected to, it shall come to pass afterward, Joel 2.28, and, and, and that's where we are in, in the third chapter as well, it shall come to pass afterward. This is a broad era, last days. It, it began at the Messianic age, it continued through the birth of the church and the day of Pentecost. I mentioned last time that Guzik suggests instead of the last days being seen as uh, us racing towards this distant edge where time runs out. It's more like we've been running parallel to the edge for 2,000 years. And I like this image. It's like we're moving along the event horizon of a black hole. So many people love it when I say something like that. It's, it's where just over the edge, there's no escape. The, the event horizon is the place where the escape velocity is beyond the speed of light, superluminal, and according to Einstein's special theory of relativity, some of you guys are just like, you're, you've got, I've got your attention right now. Nothing can travel in space beyond the speed of light. The speed of light's the cosmic speed limit. Einstein didn't like quantum physics. I'm aware of that. He said God does not play dice, but his special theory uh, got some stuff that's amazing. And in a sense, here's what I'm saying. We're, we've been on the edge of time and eternity for 2,000 years. 
just running right there. And just over there is the place of no return. And so we've been on that edge for the last 2,000 years. Uh, let me continue here. When I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, he says in these first three, three verses, we have the immediate and the intermediate fulfillment, like when they came back from Babylonian captivity, and then also even into the regathering of Israel, uh, and then where an expectant Israel welcomes Jesus. Not, not in the triumphal entry that's in your Bible as far as when he comes riding on a donkey and everyone's saying, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus spoke of that in terms of this ultimate age in Romans 11 where all of Israel is saved. So it's this epic, epic story being told in these three chapters and in this third chapter in particular that we're looking at. He said, I will gather all nations and bring them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. We talked about how that there is no valley of Jehoshaphat in your Bible this is a reference to judgment, the battle of Armageddon. The valley of Jehoshaphat means the Lord judges. So it's a place of judgment. And this is a judgment of nations. Joel was written at a time when there's this terrible plague. Mentioned it last time. We're doing some review, filling in some blanks, covering some, some stuff. Uh, but the children of Israel had, had, had been judged severely. And so they're saying, you know, well, we, yeah, we did bad. We get it. You're judging us. But what about all these nations that did us wrong? What about them, God? And God's saying, listen, I've got them. They're in my purview. I'm coming after them. God used Joel 3 to assure the people that the nations would be dealt with. He says, I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people. So this is a judgment against the nations that have mistreated his people, those people that had been set apart for his plans and purposes and these nations that had tried to thwart that. And so this, this, is a, this has in view the way nations treat Israel or treated Israel, but it also, I believe, extends to how nations treat the church. We'll talk about that in a moment. It's interesting, this judgment of nations that Jesus mentioned uh, in in Matthew 25 is a parallel of what we see in Joel chapter 3. And, and I want to clarify this. In, in Matthew 25, listen to this. Matthew 25, 31 is where we'll start. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Finishing the book of Joel. We're going to do it. We're going to take a little detour through Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison. You came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, 
Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say also to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Notice the judgment here is the judgment of nations And it's not judging people because they had or did not have faith in Jesus Christ. It's how did you treat my family, my brothers? Now, you could take that and say that would be the ethnic descendants of Abraham, the Jewish nation. How did you treat them? Think about this. I set aside that group of people to save the world. And you tried to destroy the means by which I would save the world. So it's a judgment of nations based on what did you do to my covenant people. Not that Abraham's people were just all that and special and and super favored because Abraham was just something else. No, they were set aside. It was a sovereign act of God to use that people group to bring salvation to the world. And you tried to wipe it out by wiping them out. Therefore, there's a judgment on those nations. But I would say that you could also, by extension, take that to the church. First, let me say this. Prison ministry, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, helping the poor, visiting the sick, all that. The church should be involved in. And the principle is in this scripture. But this scripture specifically speaks as to how did you treat my family, my brothers, my brothers. But I think by extension, it takes it takes a form of how did you treat the church? And I'll put it this way. Hebrews 2, 11 through 12 says this for both he who sanctifies, that would be Christ and those who are being sanctified are all of one For which reason he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren. The context is the church saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. The church, I will sing praise to you. Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, the son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. So by extension, how you treat his family, his brothers, the church, you're going to have to answer to God for that. That's the idea. Jesus is a fierce defender of his brothers. Now, I'm an only child. I've had to defend myself. And I wasn't always the best at it, but I I tried, you know. 
But my dad is, is one of six. Well, my dad, my dad had six brothers and a sister. And he's told me so many stories that are hilarious. My Uncle Daniel, he was a rascal. Uncle Daniel, man, he, he, he picked on some kids in school, and, and they retaliated against him. They did terrible things to him. They took articles of his clothing from him and put them on the flagpole and ran it all the way up the flag. Now, my, bro- my dad and his brothers, they fought like cats and dogs. But you know what happened when Daniel got attacked? Raymond and Troy and, and Caleb and, and, and the rest of them, they all ganged up and took care of business. And those older brothers are like, you ain't going to mess with my little brother. They went to war fiercely defending their younger brother. <laughs> anybody, anybody in the room know what I'm talking about? They went to war, man. I, I, I mean, it's a little different. Caleb is our oldest son, our oldest child. And, and if you mess with Elizabeth or Alexander, Caleb would bow up. And Caleb, he got where he really could bow up. But, but he would bow up on you and take care of business. And really, Caleb and Elizabeth together, if, if you mess with Alexander... They'd, they'd gang up and like, it was vicious. It was vicious. C- Caleb and Elizabeth together were uh, something else. And they would, they would ter- take care of business. And Jesus is a fierce defender of his brothers. Isn't that good news? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. You don't have to get anybody back. I'll repay. And like I told you, man... Old Stephen saved Saul of Tarsus' hide. He figured this out on the road to Damascus when the Lord appeared to him and could have killed him right there on the spot. But Stephen, who, who Saul was responsible for Stephen's death, Stephen prayed as they were stoning him, and, and Saul of Tarsus is right there. He said, Father, don't lay this sin to their charge. And, and there was mercy that was shown on Saul. And the Lord said, I've chosen you, man. I've set you apart for great things. And you better be thankful that guy prayed for you because I could have used somebody else. But I'm going to use you. And Saul said, whoo, Lord, I'm going to listen to you from now on. And, and that which he despised and hated and tried to kill and destroy, he became a, a builder, a master builder of the faith because, because Stephen prayed for him. But you better be careful when you mess with God's elect. Verses 4 through 8, indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the coast of Philistia? Will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head, because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried it into the temples, your temples, my prized possessions. Also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem you've sold to the Greeks, that you may remove them far from their borders. Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them and will return your retaliation upon your own head. I will sell your sons and daughters into the hand of the people of Judah and they will sell them to the Sabians, to a people far off for the Lord has spoken. The idea is you will retaliate against me. Is that what you're saying? So he's saying, I'm, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you. If you come against my people, I'm going to turn it back on you. Judgment 
is, and I made, I made this I made this point last time. It's just powerful to me. Judgment is about logic. You did this. This is what's going to happen. Do you ever warn your kids? If you do this, then when we get home, my parents did that to me. Especially at church, man. It was always I got always I always got in trouble at church, man. You know. Like at least I'm here, you know. Hey, you better be here, you know. You gonna be here, but you better behave. Give that a talking, texting. Oh wait, we didn't text back in those days. Talking, writing. No, we passed notes. We wrote in the songbooks. That was the kiss of death. We. Oh man, I got in so much trouble. But it was usually it was like. If, if you do this, Donovan, if I give you that look when we get home and then you try to go to sleep on the way home, you know what I'm talking about. You. <laughs> oh, I'm so sleepy. I'm so sleepy. I'm exhausted. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. So that, that's what he's saying here. Judgment is logical. You do this. This is what's going to happen. Mercy is it's not logical. The mercy of God, the grace of God. It's like you did this, but let me show you. I'm going to show you some favor and some forgiveness and some blessing. So what's being said here is to these nations, you rejected the saving logic of heaven. So I'm going to give you some plain old logic of earth. You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to be in my court of justice. I'm going to turn it on you. I will sell your sons and daughters into the hand of the people of Judah. The nations treated God's people like dirt, and they're reaping what they sowed. Trap gives some... Uh, Details as to what happened. Uh, I've quoted from Trapp before. But uh, the ten emperors of the Roman Empire that persecuted Christians, we have what happened to them historically. Nero lost 30,000 of his subjects by pestilence, had his armies utterly defeated in Britain, suffered a revolution in Armenia, and was so hated by the senators of Rome that they forced him to kill himself. Domitian was butchered by his own soldiers. Trajan died of a disease. Severus died miserably on a military campaign in Britain. Maximus was cut in pieces together with his son. Decius died as an exile in a far country. Valerian, the king of Persia, got a hold of Valerian and used him, made him get on all fours and used him as a stepping stool to get on his camels and his horses and then then uh, killed him, skinned him and hung his skin on his wall. Aurelian was killed by his own soldiers. Diocletian poisoned himself. Maximum hanged himself. And Trapp went on to say that, that amazing quote, You cannot tread upon the least toe in Christ's mystical body, but the head cries out from heaven, Why hurtest thou me? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The body of Christ, Christ is the head, we are the body. You know, the scripture said it'd be better if a millstone was wrapped around your neck and you were thrown into the Mississippi River than if you were to offend one of these little ones. The little ones there in context is not children, it is those who humble themselves as a child before the throne of God and you offend them and you cause them to sin, to backslide, to lose their way. You cause, you get in between the plans, their destiny. 
the calling God has on their life, how dare you think you can stop that? It'd be better for you if a millstone was wrapped around your neck and you were thrown off the Mississippi River Bridge. That's what Jesus said. Verses 9 through 13. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Some sarcasm here. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords. That's kind of opposite of some other scripture we've read about. You know, turn your swords into plowshares. That's on the front of the UN. It's a scripture. Uh, But here it says, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Now this sounds, this sounds... Uh, this sounds like other scriptures, but but listen carefully. Assemble and come, all you nations, together, together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of judgment, Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. So here's this weird challenge. Dripping with sarcasm. Prepare for war. Get ready. This is going to happen. Revelation 16. Battle of Armageddon. All the nations will come together. God's going to laugh at the puny efforts of man trying to fight against God. Beat your plowshares into swords. If you go into battle against God, you need all the weapons you can get. So turn everything into a weapon. I mean, just just forge a weapon out of everything. And listen, you better read everything by Napoleon Hill, Zig Ziglar, and Norman Vincent Peale. You need the power of positive thinking. Let the weak say, I am strong, because you're going up against God. But here's the deal. In spite of your best efforts, best weapons, how many weapons you have, the most positive attitude that you can muster up, you go against the Almighty God, you're going to lose. <laughs> right? Nineteen seventy-six. There was a Broadway musical based on a book, the Book of Matthew, <laughs> in your Bible, and it was called. And this is great. Your arms are too short to box with God. <laughs> and these nations are going to find that out. Get it all together. We can do this, y'all. We can do this. Rah rah rah. Your arms are too short. The arm of the Lord is not short. <laughs> But yours are. He says, I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Though the nations will come against God and his Messiah with everything they've got, the most positive frame of mind, it's all for naught. They'll be plucked like a ripe harvest, crushed in judgment. This idea of this wine press is full and the vats overflow. That's like judgment language. We've seen it in other passages. That psalm too, I love it. Why do the nations rage? The plot, people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. It's positive speaking. He who sits in the heavens will laugh. The Lord will hold them in derision and he will speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. I've set my king in my holy hill. Put in the sickle. The harvest is ripe. Come, go down. The wine press is full. Revelation 14 talks about this. We looked at it in our series. It's a wine press that's full of the wrath of God. And we'll see that in Armageddon. 
verses 14 through 17. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for His people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in, Mount, in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no aliens shall ever pass through her again. There you go for extraterrestrials. I'm just kidding. That's not talking about that. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Joel looks out upon the valley of Jehoshaphat, this battle of Armageddon, and he sees multitudes facing their eternal fate. This is a valley of decision. Evangelists, speaking of fivefold ministry, have used this passage for years and years to say multitudes, multitudes, the whole world in the valley of decision, trying to make up their mind, will I follow Christ or will I not follow Christ? That is not at all the context of this text. It is not saying people are out there trying to decide, will I follow Jesus or not? What's happening is they're in a place where God is judging them. Totally different picture. Totally different flavor. I, I like the one where people are out here trying to make their minds up. That's more appealing to me. I don't like this one where they're about to be judged in this tremendously horrifying judgment by Almighty God. But that is the context here. It is a valley of decision where the Lord is judging them. Man does indeed stand in the valley of decision, but it is God doing the deciding in the valley of judgment. And that's why I put my trust in Jesus. Do you plead guilty or not guilty? I plead the blood. I plead the blood, Lord. I plead the blood. I put my trust in Jesus, my great deliverer, my strong tower, my salvation, my Savior. I plead the blood. Hallelujah. Aren't you grateful for the blood of Jesus? Let's take a moment. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. The heavens and the earth will shake. So here you have this description Joel's famous for, this cosmic cataclysmic stuff. And, and in the midst of it all, though, it says the Lord will be a shelter for his people, the strength of the children of Israel. We saw that even in Egypt. You know, this whole thing started with locusts in Joel, and we saw locusts in Egypt. But we also saw where the children of Israel and Goshen, there was this, this shielding from some of that plague activity. And here you have the children of Israel, his people being strengthened and sheltered from what's going on in the Valley of Judgment. He'll restore both his people and his city to glory. Verses 18 through 21. And it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine. The hills shall flow with milk. We've heard this language, milk and honey. And the brooks of Judah will be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water from the Valley of Acacias. Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness. 
because of violence against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall abide forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation, for I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed, whom I had not acquitted, for the Lord dwells in Zion. So the mountains will drip with new wine, brooks of Judah will be flooded with water. This is after God's final victory, there's this idea of lasting abundance. The days of drought are a distant memory. And Egypt shall be a desolation along with every other enemy. I mentioned it a moment ago, back when Israel was in Egypt. That was this giant, horrible enemy of God at the time, Pharaoh and Egypt. And, and they were wiped out. Egypt shall be a desolation. Every other enemy against the people of God, desolated. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord. Now this is from Ezekiel. We've seen this or we, we've not gone through Ezekiel. We will, but we haven't yet. Ezekiel 47 describes this, this water flowing from the house of the Lord. And, and, and we see it in the time of Jesus' triumphant return in the millennium. And uh, Zechariah 14.8 speaks of this water coming from Jerusalem, empties into the Dead Sea and into the Mediterranean. This valley of these acacias, the, these are trees, this wood. And, and it's a place associated with failure and victory. Check this out. It's on the east side of the Jordan River, and it's north of the Dead Sea. It's where the king of Moab, check it out in Numbers 25, the king of Moab set these, uh, these traps. He sent these, these women, these young women, to, to seduce the men of Israel into immorality, and, and it ended up, becoming this incredible place of failure and shame. And ultimately, it, it was one of the things that brought in what would be known as the Samaritans, this divided kingdom, and, and it, was, it was just an absolute disaster. And it started at the Valley of the Acacias. But the Valley of the Acacias was also the launching place for the children of Israel to go in and take the Promised Land and to take Jericho. So what's being said here? This water flowing from the house of God through the valley of the Acacias. The past is being covered. Every sin, even the triumphs, they're all going to be covered by the Lord. And Judah shall abide forever. The Lord dwells in Zion. He's going to show His mercy to the people and grant them forgiveness. This is a, a, a prophecy here. And it's going to begin with this crazy Plague of locusts, we saw this, the book starting with this crazy plague of locusts and, and ending here with this restoration and redemption. The book's going to end with restoration and redemption. So we had this, this beginning, locusts. Remember the different kinds of locusts? Chewing locusts, all these different locusts. And now you have this, this restoration and renewal. Once again, we'll go to Trap, this theologian. He said, this is the last promised, but not the least. It referreth, Trap was an old timer. It referreth, saith Danaeus, to Christ taking our flesh, by which he dwelt among us, being God manifest in the flesh, since he dwelleth with his church forever, as it is in the uh precedent verse, and maketh her a true Jehovah Shammah, as she is called in Ezekiel 48, 35. 
what in the world does that mean? Listen to what Adam Clark says, and then I'll, com- I'll comment on it. This prophet, who has many things similar to Ezekiel, ends his prophecy in nearly the same way. Ezekiel says of the glory of the church, Yehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Joel says, Yehovah Shachem Batsayan, the Lord dwelleth in Zion. Both point out the continued indwelling of Christ among his people. In other words, when you see that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and then when you understand the Lord is there, Jehovah Shammah, and the Lord dwells in Zion, Zion becomes an idiom or a type of the church. Paul said it this way, don't you know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. If we walk faithful before our God, we have a promise from the Lord that what we've experienced, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that this is just the first fruits of what is coming down the road. Are you with me? I'm almost done. This is just the first fruits. And we have a promise that if we're faithful and we finish this race, he's never exiting. He's never leaving us. Did not he say that? I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it will only get better. We'll go from faith to faith and glory to glory. We'll know as we are known. This body will be transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We'll be eternalized and glorified. We'll forever be with the Lord. We'll rule and reign with Him over these nations that are being judged. It doesn't stop when you die. It doesn't stop when you just mysteriously disappear or go to heaven or or whatever. It's going to go on and on and on. And I don't want to get weird or anything like that. But I'm not going to be subject to the laws of physics as we know them and gravity. Jesus walked through walls. I'm going to be able to walk through walls. That's just a little something that I like a lot, you know. Just to, just to walk through a, a doggone wall. No door. Did you see that? I walked through a wall. I'm not, I'm not going to heaven for that. I'm not trying to be saved so I can walk through a wall. I'm just telling you, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It gets better and better and better. I just want to live for God. And the devil will do anything he can to get your spirit janky, messed up, goofy, get you in bitterness, unforgiveness, get you all sideways, get you all lifted up, do all kind of stuff to get you off course. It's just a lie of the devil to keep you from the good stuff that is coming, to get you off track so you don't end up where he says, well done, good and faithful servant, where you're on the sheep side and not on the goat side. You know, it, It's just the devil trying to get you sideways. If you'll stay, if you'll stay faithful, God is going to blow yours and my, yours and mine, It's going to blow our minds. How about that? All right. That is the book of Joel. We finished the book of Joel. (laughs) Took a while. It's a short (laughs) golf clap. (laughs) It's a golf clap. (laughs) And where we're going next, let me go ahead and prepare you. 
We're going to go next to Amos. Amos. And then Hosea. And then Micah. And then we're going to end with Jonah, which is really the oldest of the minor prophets to the northern kingdom. But we're going to go to Amos next. Amos, I call him famous Amos. Amos was a cowboy and a shepherd, and, and he was a farmer. And, and he was a country boy. And as we all know, country boy can't survive, you know. He can run a trot line. He can skin a buck. That, that, was, that was Amos, famous Amos. And God took this old country boy. He took this old country boy, and, and he brought him to the big city and the bright lights and the aristocrats that I almost said aristocrats, the aristocrats, the, the aristocrats of, of this northern kingdom, they were exploiting the poor and selling them to foreign nations. And God's wrath was kindled. And so I'm just introducing, once you stand with me, it'll help me to close. God, so here, here's what we tend to think. Sometimes we read the Bible, we, we take out the, we take out the giant epic story of the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. And we see where Abraham was chosen, and now that seed of the woman is going to be the seed of Abraham. And that chosen nation is all about the seed of the woman getting to where there is a Mary that will have a Jesus. We'll, we'll kind of extricate these, all these Bible stories. We'll kind of disconnect them from that big picture. And it, it, it makes us question and, and suggest things that that's not what it's all about it's not so much in the book of Amos that God was mad at the rich for exploiting the poor although the principle is there you could say Jesus exploited the poor are you kidding me that's sacrilege I mean Jesus said the poor you have with you always there's some things you got to do instead of taking care of the poor at the particular time. Uh, we'll get into that later. But the bottom line is this. The guy sent this country boy to just blast these aristocrats because they were exploiting their brothers who were destined and called and set apart for divine holy purpose, which included having a part in getting a Mary into the earth so there could be a Jesus into the earth. And Jesus said, you're going to discount their destiny and sell them to foreign nations? Are you kidding me? And so he sends, maybe I'll wear a cowboy hat when I preach this one. He sends Amos and says, we're going to take care of business. So are you excited about getting into the book of Amos? Yeah. We're going to get into the book of Amos. And, and then, like I said, we'll get to these others. And we'll, we'll wrap up with Jonah because Jonah is just such an extraordinary story. I wanted to save him for last. Even though he was the first one, uh, by a good bit, we'll, we'll deal with him. And uh, the fish, the whale, and all that stuff. Can you close your eyes right now? Just lift your hands to the Thank Lord. You Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. We hope you were blessed.
For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.